podcast service, we, we welcome you to the house of God here at Christian Outreach Centre here in Charters Towers, and I pray you, you all do feel well at home. I trust you have brought your Bibles tonight, notebook and a pen, and uh, check me out, see if I'm preaching the Word of God. That's the greatest thing. And so, but diving straight into the Word of God, I'd love if you would just turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. And you'll know that cluster of letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all written by Paul. The book of Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in a region at at that time in the ancient world called Galatia. So the region was called Galatia. So the letter is to a group of churches in what is known now known as Central Turkey. And, uh, and it was penned some 25 years after the, after the resurrection. So I'd love to just start with Galatians 5 and 22 and 23. And you will know uh, these verses. They're very popular verses. And it says, this is Paul saying, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the original King James, that word patience, they use the word long-suffering. But I think patience sounds bad enough to me. (laughs) Long-suffering even makes it sound worse, doesn't it? But the fruit of the Spirit... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we, when we see, when these fruits are abundant in our lives, they are evidence of a vibrant spiritual life in God. I call them, they are the canary in the coal mine, evidence of the breath of God flowing through the believer's life. When you see this fruit evident in your life, It's evidence of the breath of God. But who's ever read that list with basset hound dog eyes? Who's ever read that list? And uh, I've done it. I used to have a big list of those things. Galatians 5.22. At the back, on the back of my toilet door, this beautiful big poster. And it said, the fruit of the spirit is all these things. And, And then I looked up at that list at that period of time. And I thought, reflecting on my own life, I thought, God has not finished with me yet. Has ever thought that when they read that list of great virtues? Knowing full well that the fruit described here is sometimes non-existent in our lives. Puny in size, you could call this fruit. Or even worse still, some of that fruit was even rotten. And, even, and sometimes, sometimes we have this gift of patience. The Bible talks about you have to practice patience. So when we stop practicing patience, patience seems to dwindle. And we say, hurry up, God, and work on me. (laughs) That's how patient we are. But I've got great news tonight, and it's called the gospel. It's never lost its power for you to be totally victorious in every area of your life. And so Galatians, I'm going to hang around Galatians chapter 5 for most of the night. And Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. In other words, when you and I were born again, we were set free from the yoke of bondage, this yoke of bondage. We were chained to a lifestyle of sin and no ability of our own to set ourselves free. We were set free and uh, by the power of the Holy Ghost, 
When God came, we accepted Jesus Christ, we repented of our sin, and the chains of sin were severed from my life, and the power, penalty, and shame of sin was destroyed in one moment in time. But he says, so how do we stand fast? We're talking about how do we obtain this great liberty so promised in this book of Galatians? And so, uh, so promised, so, so do I stand uh, still? Or how can I still battle with desires which grieve the heart of God so this fruit is not abounding in my life? And, but the word of God doesn't leave us without answers. It doesn't leave us out in the, in the hallway of sin and the doorway. Jesus is described, he says, I am the door. When you enter in via the cross, there is a life of liberty found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this letter to the Galatians centers around this main theme mentioned in Galatians 5.1 of liberty and bondage. In one word, the Galatians could be, the book of uh, uh, the, the letter to the Galatians could be described in one word as liberty. If it was described in two words, it would be liberty and bondage. Amen? The victory of Galatians is the liberty that Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. There's that word. The central theme of the book of Galatians is liberty, which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled with a, a yoke of bondage. And... Uh, but there, uh, the letter to the Galatians centers around this main theme, and this liberty is in the spirit, and also the bondage that we're talking about is of the flesh. And John 4.24 says, God is spirit. God is spirit. So we are made, in Genesis 1.26 and 27, it says that you and I are made in the image and likeness of God. So our, we are a spiritual being. We have a body and and uh, we have a mind which operates out of a body. There you have it. Body, soul, and spirit. Or spirit, soul, and body. Primarily, we are a spiritual being, having a body and having a mind. And so God is spirit. Our spirit man became alive. Our spirit man is here. When you get excited, you know that within you, there's an excitement in the spirit. And so... Uh, we are set free when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and our spirit man, which was dead, came alive. Amen? That's a uh, Ezekiel th uh, uh, 36 moment. And uh, our spirit man became alive. Our flesh man is what Paul often refers to as our old man. Now, I'm not talking about your father, okay? <laughs> You're, the old man here is not your dad. And, uh, but he's an old, unre it's the unredeemed nature of man that came to the foot of the cross, and then we were made alive with him, amen? And uh, so Paul said in both the following to the Galatians and to the Roman church, in Galatians 2.20 he says, I have been crucified with Christ, this is Paul speaking, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's something of excitement. Can you place your hand just upon your midsection there and say, Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's something to be excited about here tonight. To the church in Rome, he said it this way in Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, that's this old nature that was crucified. I mean, that old, your old nature, when you came to Jesus, it was crucified. And it says, for you, for you live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, that's your old nature, you will die. 
and you will die two deaths. You'll die a natural death and a spiritual death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that's your old nature, you will live and you will enter into everlasting life. Amen? This is good news. So here in this chapter 5 of Galatians, as, as illustrated by Paul, this, there is this consistent tension between a life in the Spirit and the life in the flesh. And somehow this, this contention or tension never ceases till the day the Lord brings us home. But I want to say, if you're fully surrendered to Christ, that war, that war becomes diminished. People who battle continuously with certain sins in their life is a life that is unsurrendered to Christ. And because they're trying to live with one foot in the boat and the other outside the boat on the waves, they're trying to live the life in the spirit and the life in the flesh at the same time. But if you live by the spirit, oh, it's such a glorious life to live, a life of liberty. So here in chapter 5, we see this tension. And we are not only influenced or we are either influenced and sometimes even dominated by one, one spirit or the other. You can be dominated by your spirit man, or you can be dominated by your flesh man. And the Lord is not interested in taking the will of man away, never. He never takes our ability to choose. Even Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. And the Lord, he's a gentleman, he never... He, he never uh, legislates Christianity. And when any uh, well-intentioned government has tried to legislate Christianity, it has been an abysmal failure. When Constantine basically legislated Christianity, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and it was said that a person, when they became a Christian, no longer had to pay taxes. So who put up their hand? Everybody put up their hand, but it was the death nail to the Christian life of that time. Amen? It was the death nail to genuine Christianity. And so was came into being at that very time was institutionalized Christianity, which is rages against everything about what I'm talking about here tonight. Christ died to liberate the spirit of man unto God. So the title of my message is Under the Influence. The flesh or the spirit. I want to say to you today, what, we're all here under the influence. If a policeman was coming into here and he'd say, hands up, everybody here is under the influence. And yes, we are. We are either under the influence of the spirit of the living God or you're under the influence of your flesh man, which rages against the things of God. That is your old nature rages against. So there's a manifestation of the flesh dominating in our lives ruling in our lives and sometimes wreaking havoc in our lives and often affecting those around us and it's evidenced in Galatians 5, 19 and 21. And I have seen in my life people say, it's my life, I'll do whatever I want, I will exercise my freedoms. But I have found that sometimes when people exercise their great freedoms, they come at great expense to everybody else. Who's acknowledged that? Our society pays masses amounts of money fixing things up because of people exercising their so-called freedoms and the rest of society seems to have to pick up the tab. But here it says in Galatians 5.18, and Paul goes on to say, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
This is this regenerated spirit man that came alive when you gave your life to Jesus. He says, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, we already went through the fruit of the spirit, but have a look now at the works of this flesh or the old nature or a spirit man who is not fully surrendered to Christ. The works of the flesh are, and it's a horrible list, but I'm going to go through it. It says are evident. In other words, they're there for all to see. Adultery. Who knows that adultery is not a good thing? But it's a work of the flesh. Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. It's a good list, isn't it? Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Verse 21, the list goes on. Envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a brutal list, isn't it? But the Bible is very clear. If you want to continue a lifestyle like that, the Bible says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. I'm reading exactly what the word of God is saying. But, the, but, the, but it goes on to verse 22, which I've already read. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Beautiful stuff. And so, uh, and so uh, that's Galatians 5, 19 to 22. But let me go on to uh, verse 24. And those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, verse 25, let us also walk in the Spirit and let us not be conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I'll go up to uh, chapter 6 and verse 7. And here it is here. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so there gives the clue to the victory over this war with the man of the flesh that rages within each and every one of us. It says in verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So there is the clue there. It's more than a clue. It's the absolute answer. It says, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. I'd like to say that you are the greatest sower of things in your life. You yourself are the greatest sower. And you and I have the opportunity to sow to the flesh or to the, sow to the spirit. And the choice is ours. And the solution is ours. It's not, a, it's not a secret. The Lord has made it very, very clear in his word. If you are having difficulties with these things in life, certain sin and all this, some people rage against these certain sins for 20 years, 30 years. I'm talk, talking with people and they're still going over the same things that were battling 20 years ago. No difference in life. And the answer is they are continuously sowing to the flesh and not to the spirit. If we sow to the things of the spirit, the things of the flesh will be easily dealt with. Because the thing, when we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh, uh, if we sow to the, to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, we will reap everlasting life. And so uh, I'd like then just to go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, 
before coming back to Colossians there. And, uh, and so it could be said there's another title for this message would be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, uh, in verse uh, uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 15, when you see then that you walk circumspectly, what's that mean? That means carefully or rightly or diligently. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. Not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. And verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so that, that there in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, that is not an idle suggestion. It is actually a command. If you would read it as a command, I, I invite you to write in your Bible, this is a command to be filled with the Spirit because it guarantees a victorious spiritual life. Amen. Do you want to be victorious in life or do you want to be battling always constantly with temptation and sin and having to, over, uh, have to, having to repent over and over of things and lifestyles that grieve the heart of God, being filled with all shame and things like that? So many people battle over and over and over again with these same issues because they do not sow to the Spirit. Because if they sowed the things of the Spirit, they will have the power. And you see, whatever you sow, it, it of itself will reap a harvest. You reap a harvest. So uh, if you were to reap a harvest of the seed that you have sown in your life in the last 24 hours, what harvest would you have? Just pause and think and meditate just for a moment. If you reaped a harvest of everything that you have been sowing in your life, I have to ask myself the same question. What harvest would I be, be reaping. In Acts 5.17, and I mean, we can be filled with lots of things. And I'm just going to go over a couple of scriptures here. In Acts 5.17, it says that the high priest rose up and they were filled with indignation. They were filled with jealousy. So we can be filled with those things. That is not a fruit of the spirit. It is a, it is a fruit of the flesh. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the prison. Now, the Bible expressly in the book of Acts or the Acts of the Holy Spirit often refers to being filled with the Spirit and the laying on of hands. And uh, some people, you know, after the rodeo, they would have laid hands on blokes at the back of the shed after a night of the, of the Spirit of Bundaberg rum. And it produces, a, it produces a harvest too, doesn't it? That is the fruit of, of sowing the things of the flesh in our life. And it produces a harvest that everybody can see, sowing to the Spirit. And, now, and so, uh, so this is a far cry from the command by Paul in, in Ephesians 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And uh, I like the idea of being, and I like Paul's analogy of being filled with the Spirit or being filled with or drunk with wine. And you will notice, I've, I've said this in, on other occasions with this verse, when you are filled with wine, it, it changes the way that you think. Being filled with an excess of wine will change the way that you walk. It will change the way that you talk. It will change your work habits. When you uh, get into a lifestyle of drinking too much, it changes everything that you do. Everything that you do. Your relationships ultimately will be altered if you drink too much wine. Being intoxicated changes relationships. It changes your work habits. Some people are no longer reliable because they drink too much wine. 
but so too is being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, it will change the way you walk. There's a confidence about you. It'll change the way that you talk. Your whole talk language will be totally different when you're filled with the Spirit of God. Cussing and language that we use, your relationships will change. You will have regard for others and seek their favour and they would seek yours. You would become a reliable person in the workplace. A person filled with the Holy Ghost is an absolute attribute and, a, and, a, and an asset to our community here in Charters Towers. A spirit-filled believer is an attribute to your home. You will be the best husband. You will be the best wife. You will be the best child. You will be the best worker. Amen? Being filled with the Spirit and everybody is a beneficiary. And so... But what is this, 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 this thing called dissipation? And I've, I've used this thing before, and I think any word that sounds like constipation can't be a good thing. <laughs> and, I th and initially I thought, well, what is dissipation? I didn't even know what it was, but I thought it can't be good. And you're right. And dissipation means debauchery. Dis dissipation means to be a profligate, a wasteful person, an extravagant person, an excessive person, squandering, immoderation, immoral, outrageous conduct. These are all things. And uh, being drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, unbridled wastefulness, scandalous, scandalous, excess, consumption, disproportionate to the actual need, disregarding any limitation. In other words, the boundaries are off. There is no restraint is a life in which is dissipation. And so when looking at these few scriptures, we quickly observe that we are filled with something and what we are filled with will manifest itself in one way or another. I can tell when people over the, over the last week, even when I'm ministering on a Sunday morning, I can see where people have been sowing to the spirit or have they been sowing to the flesh. The Bible says that the eyes are the window to the soul and it's very, very easy to see who's been sowing to the spirit. People who are sowing to the spirit throughout the week, they've been worshipping, they've been praying, they've been in the word, they've been immoderate in their... And, and you can see, and they're hungry for the word and you can see they're like a sponge and they receive the word of God. But like the gospel message itself, it'll either make you mad, glad, or sad. And if you've been sowing to the realm of the flesh, there is a resistance, there is a wall, there is a, a possible rejection of the word of God because what happens when the light of God comes? It exposes that which is dark. And so it has a look to it, amen? It's a spiritual law. And so the promise here, Blessed rather are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So you will be filled with the Spirit of God. If you have a hunger for the things of God, you can be filled with the things of God. And so uh, the feeding of the 5,000, so they ate and they were filled, satisfied in abundance. And so Jesus is described as the bread of life, and you too can be filled with that bread of life and be satisfied. Uh, and I think the plight of Modern society is having all the abundance in all things that money can buy, and yet we're still spiritually destitute, which leaves us still grossly miserable and even suicidal. I've seen this with my own eyes. I saw a man in Townsville, tremendously successful. He had a boat which was worth more than my house. Beautiful boat. I went on his boat. It was a magnificent boat. Within 10 days of being on that boat, he killed himself. 
was tragic. Family, children behind, relatives, a man who had everything and yet had nothing to live for, nothing to live for. His whole life was centred around like Esau, a man of the earth, a man of the dust, worked for everything except for eternal life. The kingdom of heaven was far from him. He saw no regard for it and he had no purpose left to live, although apparently having everything, it was a tragic thing to see, left young children and everything behind. But a person filled with all the fullness of God can be content in any situation. He doesn't even have to have a house. He doesn't have to have a boat. He doesn't even have to have a bed. He can be in the prison. Amen. Paul was in the prison. That's how he travelled around the Roman Empire, from one prison to the other. <laughs> hey? And yet he was content. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I have learned in every situation to be content in every situation. When you're spiritually full, you are content in every way. doesn't matter what comes your way. It's a good message, isn't it? Be filled with the Spirit. It's not an idle suggestion, but it's a command to the believer to be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, we see in Luke 4.28 people filled with something else. And it says, And all those in the synagogues, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. You can be filled with wrath too. Or we have a choice. If you want to sow to the things of the flesh, you easily can be filled with wrath. In the following verse, the people wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff. And I've seen that cliff that, that's just outside Nazareth. And you don't have to send somebody off that cliff twice. Once will do the job. It's a big cliff. Jesus preached a message and they were filled. You see, we'll always be, we're going to be filled with something. You and I will always be filled with something. There's no such thing as a spiritual void. Ask Europe. Europe 20 years ago was bragging about their post-Christian uh, glorious victory. But it wasn't long before Europe was filled with another spirit. And they were, would be so glad to be back where they were 20 or 30 years ago than when they are now. You see, there's no such thing as a spiritual void. And your inner life will be either filled with the things of the flesh, all things filled with the spirit, but you choose. You can't blame somebody else when things are coming out of your life which you don't like. If you want to change it, you have to change what you sow into your life. It's a simple thing. You don't have to battle against wrath. All you've got to do is begin to sow different seed. Sowing the word of God will fix that problem in a matter of time. And so people having to make a decision uh, when speaking of salvation, miracles, deliverance, and living the sanctified life, and their life, your life, and my life will rise or fall on what we do with this sowing and reaping principle. That's all it is. And in John 16, verse 6, it said, Sorrow filled the disciples' heart when Jesus said he was going away. They had not yet learned to sow to the things of the Spirit. They were still very much connected to the earth. And it was Jesus himself who said to the Peter when he was talking about going to the cross, he said, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of the flesh, the things of man. And so the, the disciples, they were filled with sorrow because they had not entered into this spirit, spiritual relationship. 
And so sometimes when we go to a funeral, we not knowing the eternal destiny of the people who are deceased, we too can be filled with sorrow as well. Uh, but once we know the eternal destinies of people, sorrow lifts, doesn't it? Because we know that they are spiritually secure. In Acts 5.3 we read, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You see, he can be filled with things. And it says here that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. So here in this verse, we see that Satan had filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. Why? They hadn't not yet sown to the things of the Spirit, but to the flesh. And they were uh, envy and strife, and they were covetous for money at that time. And... uh, Acts 13.45 is another example. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And so here we see that people are either filled with the things of the Spirit, and it's evident what it is, because if, it, if they sow to the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all these things flow naturally out of the believer's heart one that is connected to the Spirit of God. Or, if they sow to the things of the flesh, even a believer, you'll see all this other list come out, which is not so nice to read. So in Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this life filled with the Spirit, and I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues, not at all. But, it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a fruit then of being a resident or being in the presence of God and, and happy to be so. In Acts 3.10, after the lame man was healed, filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the ministry of Jesus will fill you with amazement and wonder. And you'll be, oh, it's just a glorious thing. You'll be rejoicing about it. In Acts 4.8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and of Israel, and he preached a mighty message. I called it pitiful Peter before, but now he's filled with a boldness. He's be- he's, they entered into the other, upper room for, uh, for 10 days, and there was a filling of the Holy Ghost. There was a, they sowed to the thing of the Spirit, and, and then the... Peter began preaching and what, 3,000 people were saved that very day. Great testimony. Acts 9, 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as he came has sent me that you receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. But it's just a life in the Spirit that each of us here today and those listening online, you can enjoy today a life in the Spirit. It is an option to you. It is open to you. It is available to you. But listen to this. In Acts 13:9, in contrast, Saul, who is called Paul, filled, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at this guy called Elimaeus, and he said, O full of all deceit and all fraud. So Elimaeus was a sorcerer. And he was described, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness. He wasn't filled with the spirit of God. He was filled with a demonic spirit. A demonic spirit, that's what he was. And he became full of deceit and all fraud. If you're filled with the spirit of God, 
a deceit and fraud are not part of your job description. They're not things that you partake of. It's impossible to be filled with the Holy Ghost and, uh, and to be conducting your life in the same way. And so in Acts 15, 52, and the, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, 14, they were full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge of God. You can be filled with these things. How does, it, how does this fruit produce in your life when you sow to the things of the Spirit? In Ephesians 3.19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? These are optional things for us. We have a choice because God never takes away our free will. Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5.16, I'll pop back there now and uh, and Paul says, I said to how do we then win this victorious life? And he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. It is, or as it says in, in Ephesians, excuse me, be filled with the spirit. Jesus said to the multitudes and, and Pharisees, in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whatever we speak forms our world and we will speak out of the abundance of our heart. What comes out of our heart will be what we fill it with. If you fill it with the things of the spirit, the words that you speak will be spirit and they will be life. Jesus spoke and they were spirit and they were life. And so this will be a, a default mode for us. Our automatic responses, our default words that come immediately out of our mouth will be as you sow unto the things of the Spirit, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, and our words form our world, and so you'll now be surrounded by a, a, a blessed life, amen, because you sowed to the things of the Spirit. So I see that there is this tug of war, there is this tension between the life of the spirit and the life of the flesh, and it never really truly leaves the believer. There is always that temptation, there is always that thing, but I say when you stick to the narrow road, stick to the path, the highway of holiness, and be a person of absolute conviction in the way that you walk, it will be a far easier walk than if you waver. James says the double-minded man will receive nothing. Nothing. The double-minded man. So it's being a person of conviction. And we don't see it so much these days, but it used to be an old school thing. There is a man of conviction, we would say. There is a woman of conviction. We knew if we were to ask a question what answer we would get because they, they use this word called straight. And they use it as a derogatory term now. They say, oh, he's straight. <laughs> But that's not, it wasn't always so. I pray, I pray that you straight. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. Uh, in, this, in, in this conclusion, I was thinking about this word antidote. And so that, that word antidote is, is a noun. And it means a medicine taken or given to, to counteract a particular poison. When I read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, I see a whole heap of poison. 
It's called the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. These are poison to us. Poison to the believer. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies. These are, uh, these, we need an antidote to these things. What I'm talking about tonight is an antidote to these things. That word antidote there, an anti-serum, a cure, a remedy, a neutralizer, neutralizing agent, a counter-agent, an antivenina, a cure, a corrective countermeasure, counter-agent or solution. We need a solution to opposing these things that try to beset us. And the devil would want us to walk down this path and he brings things across our path all the time. Why? Because it's in his job description. He's, he hates us. His job description is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Or if he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he'll tempt us in our wilderness experience as well. And so we need to apply the antidote here. And the Bible, and uh, I, I looked up, I googled uh, the know it all. Google. I, I, I googled today what, a, what an antidote was. And, and they said that there are three universal antidotes. Three universal antidotes. Isn't that amazing? One was uh, uh, composed of zinc or magnesium. The other one, oxide. or The other one was tannic acid. And the other one was charcoal. And they could be used for any type of poisoning. Three antidotes. And they are called three universal antidotes, according to the medical uh, field. But what are the three eternal antidotes? I call them the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen? Isn't that a good thing? There are three eternal antidotes for all of these things which have come to destroy your life. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Amen? Jesus. You'd think I had some sort of medical knowledge, but the closest thing I've got to any medical knowledge is I married a nurse. That's the only medical knowledge that I've got. And what a good bit of medical knowledge that was. I'd like to round up right now in Acts chapter 4 as Jules comes to the keys. I'd like to refer to a scripture. And when I'm talking with anybody, when they have issues in life, repetitive stuff that they keep coming back to, I nearly always come back somehow to this verse. Not always, but most times. And in Mark chapter 4 is the parable of the sower, and it is explained. But going on from that parable, when that person's, uh, the word of God is sown in people's lives, and we can see that some's sown by the wayside, some's sown in thorns, and some's sown and here and there, and some's sown in, in good soil and so forth. And it produces a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. But I'd like to go to... Verse 27, and I have found it to be one of the most profound verses in combating any work of darkness that should try and come up around our life. And it says, the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. In verse 27, and should sleep by night and rise by day. And here it is. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. And therein lies the answer to walk in an absolute victorious spiritual Christian life. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. When you sow the right seed into your life, 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. Everything in life comes to us in seed form. And it begins to grow. And it says here that he himself does not know how. When we go to sleep at night, the seed that we planted in our life in the previous 12 or 16 hours, it grows while we're asleep. And that's why we can produce a harvest of righteousness that far exceeds anything that we could ever imagine or think because it things comes to us in seed form and we plant that seed deep within our spirits. Everything we plant, we plant, we are the greatest sowers of seed in our own life. If we would only sow to the things of the Spirit, it, it says He Himself does not know how the seed should sprout and grow of itself. So we go to sleep at night. During the day we've been praying. During the day we've been worshipping. During the day we've been reading the Word of God. During the day we've been exercising good relationships. Speaking well with those who are around us. Exercising patience when it was needed. And all the fruits of the Spirit. Just being conscious of it. And then we go to bed at night and that harvest or that seed begins to grow. And that harvest of righteousness produces while we are asleep. It's beautiful, isn't it? But so too is the opposite. If you sow to the things of the flesh, you will of the reap of the flesh reap corruption. And I have noticed that I worked in the prison system for many, many, many years. And I could go through a, a prisoner's file and they would have committed this offense when they were 10. And they would have committed this offense when they were 12. And when they were 14, they were doing this. And when they were 16, they were doing this. And when they were 25, they were doing this. And when they were 30, they were doing this. It never goes down. It grows of itself. The sower knows not how. Let's stand to our feet just right now. I pray that that word, that word there, that you've got a penny drop moment. And I believe people can be totally set free from all the things that have been besetting us for years and years and years. If you will just make uh, and commit your life to continuously sowing to the things of the Spirit and of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your glorious word that you build us line upon line, precept upon precept, but you have left us more than a key here. And you said, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that command to be filled with the Spirit is our guarantee of success in our Christian walk. I pray, Lord God, tonight that I'm speaking to somebody, even on Podbean, as you're walking along at the gym or you're possibly on the beach. But I pray that you would make a commitment to sow into the realm of the Spirit, sow seeds of righteousness in your life, and they too would produce a harvest and the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will abound in your life as a result of that seed growing of itself as you have made a decision to plant that seed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
So 